Well, thank you, Colleen. I've not had the joy of meeting you yet. <laughs> it's good to see you. Thank you for the music. Pastor Lisa, thank you for your service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Follow him wherever he leads you, and he'll lead well. <laughs> yes, indeed. And uh, whoever makes these decisions, thank you for the privilege of being at Bird's Chapel Church this morning. Uh, one of the beautiful things uh, about my life is that God has directed my dad and now my Uncle Warren back to home country here in Henley Field, and that allows me to be back home, and not just on homecoming. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 9. I'll begin reading at verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. I confess that this is one of my favorite passages and one of my favorite books of the Bible. Matthew has been working for some chapters to describe the ministry of Jesus. In fact, I actually misquoted this because I was quoting from chapter 4, a verse that starts a, a passage there in the same way. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching the good news in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. And in chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, we have this staccato series of stories of the remarkable ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is healing every disease and sickness among the people. He is clarifying the good news of the kingdom, most notably in the Sermon on the Mount. And in case we have missed it, when we roll to this particular passage Matthew wants to restate the verse again so that we don't miss what Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry. Teaching, preaching, healing every disease and sickness. Jesus went. One of the things that we recognize about Jesus' ministry is that it was not a come and hear ministry. Now, people did come and hear Jesus. But Jesus understood his mission was to go. And he went throughout Galilee, every village, every town. In fact, Jesus was here because he looked down from heaven. And he said, the only way to do what needs to be done is for me to go. And so he went, he came. He came to earth for this earthly ministry. 
And so Matthew makes sure that we get it. And then there is, to me, Lisa, a shocking recognition. Because Jesus, after perhaps years of this ministry, looks out across the people that he has been helping. And I think he recognizes that the work is too big. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Think about it. God came down from heaven. Jesus standing there, God himself, and he says, in essence, the work is too big for me all by myself. So pray, pray to God the Father, the God of the harvest, that he will send out workers. And then the next verse, uh, we, we see that Jesus dispatches his 12 disciples to conduct the very kind of ministry that he himself had been having. I described this, the ministry described, the ministry details chapters 4 through 9, and in chapter 10 we have the ministry delegated. It is a turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. I've told this story here before, but a good story maybe you forget. And I had bought my first car in a risky venture called eBay. And it turned out it was my favorite car ever. I had a, a friend that uh, had grown up in Baltimore. He was my mentor in seminary. And so we flew to Baltimore and picked up this little red three-door Saturn. Do you remember those? And we were driving back out of Baltimore, heading towards... Jackson, Mississippi, when we passed the sign. And as soon as the sign was legible, I began to yell, stop the car, stop the car, because the sign said, Lovely Lane United Methodist Church, birthplace of American Methodism. Oh, and we went and toured. He was a librarian for Wesley Biblical Seminary. I was teaching Old Testament at Wesley College. I got to go to the home church of American Methodism. And I saw on the stained glass window a list of our pastors. And the first one was Francis Asbury. I was standing in the very place, ground zero, for so much of the Christian message in my country. I've recently uh, read a, a book called England Before and After Wesley. The late 1600s and the early 1700s were not kind to England. And historians are largely agreed that kicking out the Puritans didn't help matters. But historians describe England as the worst place you could ever live in the course of human history that called itself a Christian nation. But it didn't stay that way. Because God raised up some people who changed the landscape because he sent them. The Wesleys and the Whitfields, George Whitfield. These people not only preached in England, they preached in the United States. And in the early 1700s, in the, in the days of the Industrial Revolution, uh, uh, Revolution, in the days of rampant alcoholism, every sixth house in London 
was licensed as a grog shop. Children routinely did not reach their fifth birthday. In some villages, they could not find a child in years that had lived to his, to his fifth birthday, largely because of the alcoholism that was rampant. Gambling was routine. But when God saved John Wesley and George Whitfield, the small groups that John Wesley helped create among people who were seeking God created a network of lay leadership accountability for people who were stuck in addiction and were trying to walk out of it with the help of Jesus and one another and companionship. God raised up a method that was ideal for reaching England in those days. And so you could go to a Church of England on Sunday morning, but where people really went was Sunday night service, where they were singing. Where lay preachers preached the standard sermons of John Wesley. Where people were taught to pray and fast and read their Bibles. And in the early days of Methodism, there was a cultural revolution as the people who had found Jesus and called themselves Methodists instituted public education, prison reform, orphanages across England. So the method of Methodism was ideal to transfer to transform the English culture. Now, John Wesley was not in favor of the American Revolution, and he was concerned that America would devolve into anarchy after the American Revolution. I'm not so sure that we Americans realize just how close we have been so many times to not making it. They did call us a great experiment for a reason. And eventually, John Wesley ordained Francis Asbury Thomas Koch. And when they came to the United States of America, they didn't just say, everybody move to Baltimore and hear the message. They brought a going ministry. It's interesting to me. In 1799, a Methodist evangelist named Tobias Gibson came to a little burb of Natchez when Mississippi had 7,600 people. Not a state yet. And there, Tobias Gibson founded the Washington Methodist Episcopal Church 15 years after the first Methodist preacher, Baltimore, to, we'll call it Natchez, Mississippi. In 1804, on the side of that very ground, just north of Natchez on Highway 61, was the first Mississippi camp meeting. In 1817, when Mississippi held its constitutional convention to become a state, where did they hold it? On the grounds in the building of the Washington Methodist Episcopal Church. You see, I'm glad that Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. And people did. And I'm glad the disciples went when Jesus said go. I'm also glad that somebody prayed for Mississippi. And Tobias Gibson came here. I'm glad he came. In 1812, uh, a part of the state that we love and hold dear was not a part of the state because it was a part of the United States. It was a Republic of West Florida. And in 1812, the United States annexed these 
six now coastal counties, including the one that we're in. They came into the uh, United States and they came into the Mississippi Territory as, at that time, just Jackson and Hancock counties. So um, 200 years ago, you were not in Peru County, you were in Hancock County. The 1820 census, which is as early as I can find for Hancock County, including Biloxi and Gulfport, had fewer than 1,600 people. 452 of them were black people, and most of those not slaves, but free. There were 217 families registered in that 1820 census, one of whom was my great-great-great-grandfather, Jesse McGee. So it is homecoming for me to come back to Pearl River County. Also in 1820, the best we can tell, somebody said 1,600 people, good enough for me. And I'm struggling whether it was Sherrod Bird or or a John Ira Bird, but some bird <laughs> came to what is still the unfindable middle of nowhere 202 years later and started preaching the gospel to these people. I'm glad somebody prayed. I'm glad when Jesus said go, somebody went. 1890. It's the year that Pearl River County finally successfully broke away from Hancock County. There had been some false starts. And in 1890, three years before my grandfather was born here, there were less than 3,000 people in what is now Pearl River County. For over three generations, my family had been here. And in 1890, as I read the national census, there were three Methodist churches in Pearl River County with 148 members. Sorry for all the numbers. Now, only one Baptist church was reported in being, uh, as being in Pearl River County in 1890, but as I dig, I'm finding that Hickory Springs was started in 1883, just outside of Poplarville, largest town in, uh, in 1890. About 200 people lived in, pa in Poplarville. Um, Sons Chapel had six people that started in 1882, and when I drove past First Baptist here in Henleyville, I noticed it has 1874. The reality is record keepers were not plentiful in 1890, but what I can tell you is that it was not a positive place to be in the South in the years immediately following the Civil War. And I can tell you that in the South, like in much of the United States of America, in the late 1890s, very few people went to church. And in the 1890s, when this became a county, Pearl River County, we had a handful of churches reaching, as best I can tell, less than 10% of the population of Pearl River County. But I'm glad somebody prayed. Can I just be honest with you? I love Methodism. I think you can hear that in my voice. I love the method. But you know what I love more? I love Jesus more. I love the Lord of the harvest. 
I love the one who found me when I was lost. And I have to admit, for much of the history of Pearl River County, before it was even Pearl River County, Christianity and Methodism were the same thing. The Methodist Church was the firstest with the mostest for three generations. So people who call themselves followers of Jesus call themselves Methodist. I especially love Jesus for sending the birds to this place. I didn't get to come to the 200 year anniversary of Bird's Chapel because of the pandemic. But you know, one night when I don't remember whether it was my sister or my brother who was being baptized, the pastor asked for people who were in the congregation to share their baptism story. And so I got to hear it firsthand. And my grandmother stood up and said how when she was 13 years old in 1920, the 100th anniversary of Bird's Chapel, an evangelist came here, preached the gospel, and she became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, was baptized at age 13. Incidentally, that was also the age she was, she told me, when she first went to town. 13 years before she left Henleyfield. <laughs> You see, these people prayed. There was a need to pray. These were not good days always in our history. And as people prayed, they went. You know, in the days after World War II, 81% uh, of Mississippi kids had no Sunday school that they attended. But by 1952, when some of us can remember, Pearl River County, like much of Mississippi, was in a bit of a revival. And so by the 1950s after World War II, where people were seeking the Lord, uh, there were about 43% of people in Pearl River County who had a church affiliation. And not surprisingly, most of them were Baptists. <laughs> so 20,000 people in Pearl River County in the early 50s, um, 8,800 of them going to church, 7,300 Baptists. 1,400 Methodists and 100 Catholics. <laughs> Pretty monolithic kind of a, a approach. If we go back to the last census that we have, which is now 12 years old, 2010, you might think that we've slid a lot since <clears throat> 1950. But what we discover is, and I've heard it said, that Pearl River County is the most church county in the nation. I don't know that it's true. But there's some statistics that sound at least promising. In 2010, of the roughly 56,000 people in Pearl River County, 36,000 had a church affiliation. That's almost two-thirds. Remarkably high. Uh, guess who's in first place among Christians? Baptists, imagine that. And... I just want to point out to you that as you look at the numbers, there are 37 Baptist churches of the mm, roughly 86 in Horror County today. And those 37 Baptist churches claim 22,000 Baptists. For an average congregational size of 600, how many of you genuinely believe that there is more than one or two congregations this morning with 600 people in it in a Southern Baptist or other kind of Baptist church? These are people on the ropes. 
and many of them for years. Maybe not since they walked an aisle as a child or a teenager have walked with Jesus. Second in Perver County are 4,000 Catholics. Here's a new development. Over 3,000 people in Pearl River County are non-denominational. And the good old-fashioned Methodists ringing up a couple thousand folks in fourth place. Nobody else particularly large except for fifth who is coming up in our rear view mirrors fast in Pearl River County. You want to take a gander on who's in fifth place in religious adherence in Pearl River County? Hindus. There are over 20,000 people in Pearl River County who have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And if we just count the Catholics who aren't, and the Baptists who aren't, and the Hindus, you can match the number. The fields are as white for harvest as they have ever been. So my question this morning is, will you open your eyes to the Lord of the harvest? Jesus looked out over the multitudes coming to hear the good news, who needed to be healed, who needed to be delivered from addiction. And he was moved with compassion for them. Do you see the Lord of the harvest? Is the Lord of the harvest over Pearl River County even today? And he's compassionate. Will you open your eyes to the harvest? I'm not pretending that people from all over Pearl River County would come to Bird's Chapel Church. But Pastor Lisa, I've done kind of a deep dive into what the Census Bureau can tell us about the rural areas of northern Pearl River County here. People who live five, six, seven miles, who don't have many options as uh, uh, churches that, that they can go to. Do you know there are 10,000 people who live pretty close to this church? Now, the churches pretty close to this church couldn't hold 10,000 people if we tried. Of those 10,000 people, 2,500 are kids and teens. In the early 1950s, fewer than 20% of our population was in Sunday school children. I don't think that the average kid within 5 or 10 miles of Birds Chapel Church knows what a Sunday school room looks like in the last year or two or four. We don't have enough Sunday school space to house them. But you know what? You have a living room. And you can tell a Bible story. I watched Pastor Lisa do it right this morning. You can open the book and read it. You can invite the kids from your neighborhood. I'm going to have some Kool-Aid under my carport. And you can read a Bible story. You have the internet. You have a phone. And when your kids and grandchildren FaceTime you, you can open up the book and read it. You can download a Sunday school lesson off the internet. You don't have to do it the way we've always done it. 
But the question is, do you see the harvest? Will you ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field? And if he says, tap on the shoulder, that's you, will you go? Will you go? There are 7,000 adults within about 10 miles of here. Only 1,100 of them have college degrees. Shocking, kind of being at Bird's Chapel Church um, with the level of professional attainment of our community. About the same number, not quite as many, live in poverty. And it's why I stick my chest out and I talk about Bird's Chapel Church when I'm in other parts of the state because of the fundamentally important role that you all play with the food pantry here in Pearlberg County. If you don't know it, you'd be hard-pressed to believe that there is food insecurity right down the street. But there is. You know what's interesting to me? There are only uh, 167 people over 80 in this part of Pearl River County. We seem to do a pretty good job of reaching those. <laughs> there are over 200 who speak Spanish. Is there a place for them to worship this morning in their heart language? 4,000 of our adults drive to work on a given weekday. This is shocking to me. Four-fifths of them drive at least 15 minutes. Half drive more than 25 minutes one way, and a fifth of the working population of rural Pearl River County drives over an hour one way to work. Which means they're driving past your Dollar General to go shopping. Which means that they are pleased to drive past your church to find something that meets the needs of their kids. And it may mean that they're not driving anywhere because they're exhausted. I don't know what it means. But I open my eyes and I see there is a harvest field for exhausted Pearl River County workers who do not go to church and who need a vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So will you? Will you open your mouth and pray? Will you say, Lord of the harvest, send out workers into the harvest field? Will you do it? Will you go if he sends you? Well, I can tell you, you, you won't open your mouth and pray. You, you won't go if he sends you if you believe that small communities, whether because they're rural or because they're apartment complexes where mostly single moms live, aren't important. But I am thankful for the Bird family that said, can't find it, won't be able to find it. In 200 years, we're going to put a church there. You won't open your mouth and pray. You won't go if he sins. If you say, well, I believe people should just help themselves. Jesus looked and said, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You won't pray. You won't go. If you believe that Jesus, if you believe that people who don't know Jesus should simply act like they do, You won't 
pray, you won't go if you believe that social workers and government officials are paid to do that. You won't pray and you won't go if you say, well, I don't know what to do and I don't have a five-year strategic plan and I'm not going to do anything unless they come to me. But Jesus didn't suggest any of those things. No. Jesus said, open your eyes. Look, the harvest is plentiful. Do you believe it? And tell it to Jesus. When you are burdened, how about instead of complaining on Facebook, telling it to Jesus? He is compassionate. He recognizes root causes you and I have not gotten to the bottom of. Most notably, people don't know him. And he will do the sending. And then go when and if he sends. We need to be people of compassion. They can't help themselves. We want them to help themselves. That's the American way. But our Bible says we can't help ourselves out of sin and its effects. Only Jesus can help us. You say, well, we've got a lot of pastors and a lot of churches. Well, it seems to me that Jesus said the shepherds and the pastors that we have are not enough because he said, I'm not enough. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. So I'm asking you, homecoming 2022 that we couldn't have in 2020, you ask the Lord of the harvest, will you pray that he would send out workers into his harvest field? And if he calls you, will you go? My hope is, if Jesus hasn't come back by then, in 2120, somebody will be able to stand in probably a larger pulpit <laughs> and say, I'm glad they prayed. I'm glad they went. Amen. Amen. Lord of the harvest, make this our prayer today and in the days ahead. Jesus, send out workers into your harvest field. Amen.